The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. And if you're visiting with us or unfamiliar with the Bible, you'll find that there's a Bible in the pew back right in front of you. If you'll open that up to the first few pages, there's a table of contents, and you can look down there and find Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, pretty far over to the right-hand side. The large numbers are the chapters. The small numbers are the verse references. And so we're in Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3 today. So let me read these verses for us. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And those of you that are here today, we're kind of uh, just amping up a little bit, thinking about tomorrow being New Year's, and we'll march right into a new year. And, and in some sense, it's a journey. It's a, uh, getting ready to walk through a new year together. Some of us are waving goodbye to some of the things of this past year, and we are hoping and anticipating and looking forward to this coming year, 2018, and what the Lord will have in store for us. And so it's a sense in which it is a journey for us. And uh, I was reminded about how I feel sometimes on journeys, and so I think maybe there you might be able to uh, you might be able to censor or, or uh, commiserate with one of these two states early this morning, long before any a normal sane person should have been up. I was up with James, and one dear dear brother or sister in our church who loves Connie and myself so much gave James a little toy airplane with a big red button on top. And wouldn't you know it that when you press the big red button, lots of lights go off and a voice booms so that most of the house can hear it. And James loves to just hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it again and again. And I was sitting there with him and, and the toy plane is right in front of him. And when as soon as you hit it, the lights come on and this little girl's voice comes screaming over in such bombastic and, and super happy voice. And she says something like, my bags are all packed and I'm buckled up. It's going to be a great flight. Let's get it done. Brothers and sisters, I need to tell you something. When you hear that about 42 times at five in the morning, you want to throw that plane away. There are some of you in here this morning, and the way that you're facing 2018, what you're looking at, you're saying, you're, you're like that. You're all buckled up. Maybe, maybe you're anticipating good things happening in the first part of this year, or you're anticipating the Lord's blessing, and maybe you've been thinking about this, and you're ready to just let go of the past and move on into the future, and you're, you're excited and thrilled to death. But can I tell you that there are other people in this room that are facing 2018 kind of the way that came up on my Facebook timeline about a week ago. It had one of those 
those. You ever have come up on your Facebook where you were two years ago, four years ago, five years ago? I had one come up and it said, in 2015, Connie and I were at the Fort Worth Airport in Texas, and I had, really tired, spent 40 hours in the Fort Worth Airport. You ever spent 40 hours in an airport? I assure you, your bags are not all packed and you're buckled up and you're ready to fly. You're ready just to be home. I get the sense in some of our hearts today that we've got a little bit of both of that going on. And there might be, even in your own heart, you might be somewhat schizophrenic. It might be part of you that is anticipating and looking forward to a new year, turning the page and seeing all that God has for you and what the Lord's going to do with you and your family. But there also might be another half of you that says, man, this has been a rough year. And and, and I know this is walking into a new year, but things just aren't good. Things aren't the way that I want them to be. This isn't the way that I anticipated life unfolding in front of me. This doesn't really feel like a new year at all. It just feels like another day day on the calendar to cross off. And I just want to say that the text before us today speaks to us no matter what end, whether you're excited and ready and your bags are all packed and you're ready to take the trip in 2018, or whether you have just barely crossed the finish line of 2017 and you're frazzled and you're ready to be home and you spent 40 hours in the airport and you say, I don't know what 2018 has, but it can take it. Wherever you are, as you get ready to walk into this new year, I want to say to all of us, that from the text that's before us today, we need to consider Jesus Christ and make Him supreme in our life. He needs to be the focal point and the goal of all that we do. And so, whether we are weary and tired and losing heart, or whether we are excited and ready and bags packed, no matter where you find yourself, the answer for all of us today in our lives and in our hearts and with our family and with our friends and with our jobs and in our church, what we need most is to look to Jesus. Amen? Let me just take this text apart with you. And uh, really, uh, the third point will be consider Him. Let me give you three points from this text and we'll finish today. So first of all, we want to consider the saints and then we want to consider ourselves and then we want to consider Jesus. So look back at verse number 1. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, And uh, of course, you've heard me say a thousand times that whenever you see a therefore in the Scripture, right? You know the old cheesy term. You want to find out what is it there for. And so we take this and it says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, what could that possibly talking about? Well, the last chapter, of course, Hebrews chapter number 11, many call this the the hall of faith. There's all these believers, both men and women, who have trusted God, put their heart and soul and confidence in God alone and God did miraculous and wonderful things in them. And so the cloud of witnesses here, although it might possibly have something to do with uh, loved ones who have been believers that have gone on before us, according to the context of this passage, the witnesses that are being talked about in chapter number 12 are the uh, all of those Old Testament saints that have gone before in chapter number 11. And so we first of all want to consider those saints in chapter number 11 and say, what do we learn from the saints as we look forward to our lives? What can we learn from those who have gone before and lived for Jesus and walked with Jesus and been through good times and bad times and over the hills and down through the valleys? What do we learn from the lives of those who have gone before us? Consider the saints. Let me just give you three parts here on those. First of all, I would say this. Remember this, that the saints that went before us, that their faith was always accompanied with action. 
When they believed God, they served Him. In fact, if you were to go back to verse number 3, it would say, by faith, in chapter number 11, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Verse number 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to the place in which he would receive the inheritance. Brothers and sisters, I would say to us, as we look to our Old Testament brothers and sisters, as we look to those who have gone before, and we say, what can we learn from their life? You ought always to remember that if you believe God, you must act for God. Amen? That great, uh, that great preacher John Wesley said that faith works. And, that, and the great writer of the New Testament, James, says, show me your works. Uh, show me, uh, I'll show you my faith by my works. And so it is not enough for us as we move into 2018 as a church. We cannot just say, we believe God. We love God. We, 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 uh, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We sing songs about Him. If you're not willing to share the gospel and live holy lives and, and, and minister to your family and to your children and to your friends and to your coworkers and to our church, if you're not willing to pitch in and serve and make this church everything that it should be for the glory of the living God, if you're not willing to act, you don't believe. Man, that went over like a lead balloon. But as you get ready to walk into 2018, you should understand today, if you do not serve Jesus Christ in your local church, you are not a believer. Stay with me. And it's probably time on a Sunday morning there's probably some people that are underneath the sheets and the downed uh, uh, cover that think, man, I'm glad I didn't come today or I'd have got it. But you're here, so you're getting it. I, ju I just want you to understand that as we move into 2018, as a believer, as a man, as a woman, as a boy or as a girl, as a member of this church, don't tell people that you believe in God and you believe in Christ unless you're willing to obey Him. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So as we love people, as we serve, as we share the gospel with the lost, we demonstrate to the world that we truly believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. What do we learn from the Old Testament saints? Not that somehow there's a big cloud up there, everybody's looking down on us and, and they're all happy for us. No, what we learn is from their testimony. In fact, let, let me show you this. It's an inclusio or a bookend. Look at verse number 2 in chapter number 11. For by it, right? That's by faith. For by it, the men of old gained approval. That is, they had a good testimony of the grace of God. They were saying, we have the testimony that we believe God and we act on what God wants us to do. And look at the very end of the chapter, verse number 39. And all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive the promise. I'll get to that in a moment. But what I want you to understand is that all the Old Testament saints, they're not there for us to worship. They're not there for us to venerate. They're not there for us to lift on high. They are there for us to look and say, they believed God and served Him. Therefore, I will believe God and I will serve Him. And that being a person of faith in Christ is worth it. What do we learn from those saints? We learn that faith is always accompanied with action. Here's the second thing I would say to us. I want you to understand that what we learn from those Old Testament saints is that they weren't all perfect. 
Right? You read chapter number 11 and you're going to find uh, Abraham and all of these other individuals and you're going to find many of them there and you say, wait a minute, th- that person made it into the hall of faith? You mean that person that failed God and sinned and fell down and had all kinds of skeletons in their You mean that person is, finds themselves in the hall of faith of the Bible? I want to say to you, yes. And if you're in this room today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have skeletons in your background and you have things that you wish you had never said to somebody places you wish you had never done been and things that you wish you had never done. I want you to understand that if you lay all of that on the line and on the altar and you ask for forgiveness that Christ desires and longs to use you for His glory, to use you for the propagation of the gospel, to use you for the building of the kingdom, no matter what's in your past, God will use you if you'll give your life to Him. You turn that page over tomorrow. You walk into 2018. And no matter what you did or said or been last year, God is bigger and larger than that. You know what the Bible says in the New Testament? That God is larger than the attacks of our own heart. And maybe you're here today and you say, man, I I don't think I can do anything for the Lord. Preacher, you don't know where I've been and what I've done. You don't know my background. I, I want to say to you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're willing to walk humbly with your God, He'll use you just like He used these people. What do we learn from those Old Testament saints? I want you to understand this. We learn from them that their faith was in God, not in the promise. Hey church, listen, my, my voice isn't that good today, so I, I need you to hear me. I need you to listen today. We learn from them that their faith was in God, not in the promise. Chapter number 11 is kind of broken into two sections, and you can see where it turns. Look down at verse number 34, I believe it is, and watch this. I'll pick up in 32. And you can see the, the chapter as it's, as it's progression to a, uh, to a crescendo. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets. And look at this, who by faith they conquered kingdoms and performed acts of righteousness and obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword from weakness were made strong and became mighty in war and put foreign enemies to flight. Well, of of course I'd put my faith in God if He made those kind of promises come true. But look at verse number 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection and, notice the change, and others were tortured. And they escaped from the torture. Does your Bible say that? Those of you that are reading your Bible, it does not say that. And others were tortured, not escaping their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see the turn in the chapter? The first part of verse number 35 says women received their children back from the dead for resurrection. The latter part says that some of them were tortured and they didn't receive their children back for resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. 
And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive, look at it, they did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Consider those saints that when you have faith in God, it always produces action. And that anybody in this room, no matter what your background, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He will use you. But remember this, put your faith in God, not in just promises. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot that said, the test of our faith is not the absence of the promise but it's when everything in your life appears to the worse. And you still believe. And you still follow Him. You walk into this next year, learn from the Old Testament saints that no matter what comes your way and what you face, that your confidence, that your faith, that your trust is in Christ alone. Amen, church? You can face whatever comes this year, whether good, whether bad, if your confidence is in Him. And so, well, I, I'm serving the Lord because I, I, I think if I serve the Lord, then I'm, I'm promised something good. And the promise may be there, but you may not even receive it on this side of the grave. You might have to go all of your life and never understand why you went through something. Never understand why something was withheld from you. It doesn't always work out in this lifetime. But our confidence is not in the promise. Our confidence is in the promise giver. And I understand that when I lay my head down at night, whether I have it or whether I don't, whether it's withheld or whether it's given, or whether it's taken from me, whatever it is in this life, that God is greater than the promise. And God is greater than the gift. And if I have Him and I fellowship with Him and I experience Him and I become conformed to the image of Jesus, even His suffering, that it is greater than any gift in all the world. And one day... Our God will make all things right. Amen? Consider the saints. Consider yourself. Let me give you this quickly. Look down at verse number 2. Well, let's see, the end of verse number 1. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, look what it says here. You'll notice two times in this verse you'll have let us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I would simply say when we talk about considering ourselves, we need to purge ourselves of sin and we need to persist or endure in the race that is set before us. Look what he says there. Let us lay aside all those encumbrances, those, those things that are kind of weighing us down and the sin that does easily beset us. Now, I'm not going to uh, splice hairs with you. Some people look at those two words for um, the encumbrances and sins and they try and split those apart and say they're different things. Well, more likely, the, the second is an explanation of the first. But what you do need to understand is this, is that there are some things in our life that aren't necessarily sin, but they encumber us. They weigh us down. There are joys and funs and pleasures. And God is not a, a, a galactic killjoy. God wants you to have fun in your life. But there are some things that aren't necessarily sin, but they weigh us down from the greater good of serving our King Jesus. 
And if there's something in your life, and whether it's, uh, whether it's fun, whether it's a hobby, whatever it is in your life, it might be vacations, it might be all kinds of things. I'm not saying don't go on those and don't have fun and don't enjoy what God has given. But what I'm saying is if those things are preventing you from serving Him fully in your life, let them go. And you want to know how you'll know when they move from the first and encumbrance to the second ascent is when you're sitting here and you're thinking, I can't do that. At that point, whatever it is that you're thinking about just moved from the category of something that merely weighs you down to something that has a hold of your life. And the Apostle Paul said, I beat my body and bring it under subjection so that nothing has the mastery over me. Anything that is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. Cast it off. We're on this journey. We're in this race. We're in this battle. And you've got to take those encumbrances, whether good or bad or whatever they may be, and you might need to put a hold on those for a little bit. I said, let me get practical for a moment. Hey, I just want to say... uh, if there's games that you like to play on your phone, but playing the games on your phone takes all of and saps all of the attention away that you give your spouse, if you find yourself there in the evening and both of you are just kind of looking at your phone and you're even texting each other on the couch, don't look at me like you hadn't done that before. If your face is so stuck in a screen that you don't remember what your spouse looks like, you're sinning. Lay it aside. whether it's games, whether it's technology, all those kinds of encumbrances. And I would say to you, the sin that is closest to your chest, you've got to kill that in the power of the Holy Spirit. There might be a man in here today, and you're walking into 2018, and you're walking into the new year with a pornography addiction. I just want to say to you, That sin will cause you to stumble and miss God's best for your life. Put it aside. Kill it in the name of Jesus. The same could be said for anger, bitterness, and backbiting, and all of the other sins that you can think about. Whatever sin is closest to your chest, you got to kill it. Otherwise, it's going to weigh you down. And you will not be the Christian this year that the Lord desperately desires for you to be. Purge. Purge yourself. And then look what it says. Persist. Look at the end of that verse. Endurance. You'll find it three times in this um, text. And in fact, it says that Jesus has endurance. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Patience. Uh, to, To stay at it. To be diligent. To make it. I don't know how many people I've known in my life that they start out in the Christian race and they love Jesus and they're doing right, but when the hard times come and the problems come and, and, the, and the year gets heavy, they quit, they stop, they lay it aside, they backslide, they move away from the Lord, and they live this roller coaster life of up and down and up and down instead of just being on a good trajectory of getting closer and closer to Jesus. They're constantly in need of some mammoth revival in their heart rather than having many revivals every single day of your life. 
Stay the course. Be diligent. Run the Christian race with endurance. And do you know what the author says there? The one that's set before you. Don't try and run somebody else's race. Don't worry about what you're not doing or where you've not been or who you don't know or everybody else in the world. Run the race that God has set before you. I want us to have large dreams. I want the Lord to do wonderful things both in our church and in your life. And I want you to think large thoughts about the kingdom of God and seeing people get saved. But I'm not unaware of the fact that many of us in this room, you're living day-to-day existence. And sometimes you get to the end of the day and you think, I'm not sure I'm not sure how I made it through today. And I don't even know if I'm going to have enough energy to make it through tomorrow. And you've got all these things in your mind. Listen, God has called you to run the race that is before you right now. And listen, if you're working with children, you are working in the kingdom of God. If you go to work, I know some people, they'll say, I only work my job just so I can support going to church and doing my ministry. You live half your life at work. It is the ministry. There is no secular and sacred. It is all sacred before God. And so when you get up in the morning and you go to work, you go in the presence of God and you go to serve Him and love Him. and You give everything that you have to doing that job to the glory of God. You do that every day this year. Run the race that's before you. Love the family that's before you. Minister to the friends that are in your life. Be in the church that you are and serve Him here. Purge yourself and persist. Have endurance. Consider the saints. Consider yourself. Let me just finish by showing you this. Look at, um, look at the next couple of verses. Consider Jesus. Let's leave today just meditating and reflecting on Jesus as we walk into the new year. I'm going to give you maybe six or seven thoughts about Jesus. Don't worry, we won't be here long, okay? I can see some of your eyes rolling back like, oh my goodness, seven more points. As we look at verse 2 and 3, let me give you seven things to meditate tonight on. And it might be good just to find a space somewhere, I know your lives are busy, somewhere just to meditate and to consider and to think about Jesus. Look at verse number 2 again. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. First of all, you need to know the word there where it says fixing. It's more than just a gaze. The, The word here means that you are aware of every other option and you choose to turn away from all of that and to choose to focus your gaze on Jesus. And isn't that a marvelous thing for us? Isn't that what we need in this new year? Everything in the world, in society, in culture, in media, all of it is clamoring for our attention. Will you choose to push all of that away and to focus your life on Jesus? To fix your spiritual eyes, your physical eyes, and your heart on Jesus Christ and make Him the King of your life and the lover of your soul. To make Him everything. To exalt Jesus and make Him great in your life. Will you choose to fix your eyes on Him? Consider Him. Let me give you a few thoughts. First of all, it says here in verse number 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Maybe you might just want to dash off to the side there. Jesus, the compassionate man. 
Isn't it interesting that the author of Hebrews doesn't use the entire title, Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't call Him Lord. He doesn't call Him Christ. Certainly, if you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll find that He totally affirms the, the Christhood, the Messiahhood of Jesus. But in this text, where He's talking to people who are weary and brokenhearted and half-hearted and tired, He refers them to the earthly and the human name of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The compassionate man who came to live in our body, who came to take on humanity, who had no place to lay his head, who grew hungry and grew thirsty, who bled from his side and the crown of thorns went upon his head, who died very man for very man. Earlier on in the book of Hebrews, he said that he came to be our brother in the Lord. Focus your eyes on the compassionate Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get weak, and when you get heavy-hearted, and when you feel like quitting, I want you to remember the compassionate Jesus who walked in this life in your skin, who faced what you faced. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus suffered. And Jesus went through what you're going through. And you can lean in on Him. You can talk to Him. And He will comfort you. Because He is a compassionate Jesus. Maybe tonight, as you think about fixing your eyes on Him, why don't you just take your problems and pour them out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I know You suffered. I know You went through this. I know You lived Your life to identify with me. Help me. Look back down at the text. Not only do we have Jesus, the compassionate man, we have Jesus, the victorious pioneer. Look at it, it says here, the author. The word there is to author. Yes, uh, the uh, progenitor, the, the generator of, but it also means to pioneer. It means to cut out the way. And so what we would understand is that Jesus is the pioneer of the faith. He is the first one to take the machete and to whack through all of the forest of all the rest of the world and lead us to the cross of Calvary. Jesus is the pioneer of the Christian faith. All of those people in chapter Chapter number 11, even the ones that didn't receive the promise, they were waiting for something better. It was Jesus that was helping them and never let them down. And it is Jesus who will never fail us in our life. Just follow after Jesus. He has already blazed the trail. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. It is easy and my burden is light. Get in the yoke with Jesus. Follow after Jesus. He has already blazed the trail in your life. Just walk with Him. He's already been there. He knows what's coming. And He'll be right there with you. Maybe think about that tonight. Jesus is our compassionate man. Jesus as the victorious pioneer. What about the rest of it here? Maybe I'd say something. Jesus is our only perfecter. Look what it says there. And the perfecter of faith. Chapter 11, verse number 40. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made 
perfect. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the Old Testament saints aren't made perfect by us. We're not made perfect by them. God wants you to live a holy life. God wants you to be a moral person. But all of our good and all of our accomplishments can never bring the completion of our faith. Only Jesus Christ completes our faith. Only Christ can complete and perfect and make us holy before the God of heaven. Amen? Aren't you glad that you are just as accepted before the God of heaven on your best days as you are on your worst days? As I've told you before, when you feel like you've sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and you, you want to go to God in prayer, you want to pour your heart out in prayer, but you feel inside, I'm not good enough. I've got to live a couple of good days. I've got to get back up on the horse. I've got to put that sin away and then I can go to God in prayer. That is absolutely horrible theology. What you need to say is, in the worst condition that I'm in, I am still accepted by God, not because of what I do or don't do, not because of my good days and bad days, not because I get back up on the horse, but because Jesus alone has completed the transaction on the cross whereby my sin has already been paid for and His righteousness has been accounted to me. On my worst days, I am still a son of God. And so are you. Not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of who He is and what He did. Your life will be different as a believer if you walk out of here today making that shift in your mind. Oh yeah. You had that when you got saved. When you came to Christ, there was a moment where you realized all of the effort and all of the world will come up short. And I'm helpless. And Jesus died for me and rose again. And if I just lay my life down before Him, if I stop fighting and trust Him, He'll save me. You need to live like that every day as well. You say, Steve, what about holiness and righteousness and living that way? Yes, we live holy lives, listen brothers and sisters, out of thankfulness, not to obtain righteousness. When I get up tomorrow, I want to live like Jesus. I want to have a pure heart. I want to have clean hands. I want to live for Him. Why? Not to obtain righteousness, but because I'm so thankful for what He already did for somebody like me. If you make that shift in your mind, you'll find great release and great help from Christ. He is not only our uh, great completer or perfecter. Let me just march through these real quick for you who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. He is our great suffering servant. Jesus died for the joy that was set before Him. There's lots of ways to understand that. Uh, some people will say, who for the joy that was set before Him, what they're saying is that He set aside the bliss of heaven and came down to endure the cross. Others will say, for the great joy that was set before Him, and that is that you and me, those who would believe the joy that Jesus faced, the joy that Jesus was looking to, what allowed Him to endure the cross was that He was making many sons and daughters out of all of us in here. And because He loved us, because He cared for us, because He was compassionate for us. He took the servant's role. And as Philippians says, He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus died as the suffering servant so that we could have life eternal in 2018. I tell you this, Jesus died for us. He endured the cross 
Did you remember in verse number 1, He's called on us to endure to the end of our life in the Christian faith. What is our great example? That He walked those cobblestone streets of Jerusalem and took the bloody back beating, took the crown of thorns upon Him and hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, and He died for all of us. He endured all of that so that we might be made righteous. Not only is the enduring servant... Let me give you these last couple. Despising the shame. And then look what it says here. And has sat down at the right hand. That is that He is our effective high priest. He is our effective high priest. And so what do you mean? And that would, that would the New Testament authors say again and again and again that Jesus, He was the sacrifice. He went into the Holy of Holies. He died for us there. He rose. He went and ascended into heaven. And He is ever living to make intercession for believers. He is the effective high priest because of His blood, because of His death, because of His resurrection. Jesus is in heaven making mediation for us every day. And so I tell all of you that when you uh, descend December or was it uh, December 26th or 27th when all of you went back to the return lines and you were saying things that you probably shouldn't say about the people who were in front of you and you were embittered at the people that were on the road because they were cutting you off Jesus was busy in heaven intercessing for your sin in your heartache and in your pain and in your trouble Jesus is our great high priest. You didn't think that Jesus just stopped when He went to heaven and He's kicked back in a lazy boy recliner and He's waiting to return, do you? Jesus is busier now than He's ever been in a wall of His existence. Because of His great host of believers, He ever lives to make intercession as our high priest. He listens to you. He loves you. He is intimately involved in your life. And all that you face this year... You should meditate and think and receive Him as that effective high priest that is on your side. Then what does it say there? He sat down uh, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our enthroned King. Jesus is our enthroned King. When you turn on the news and you see the nations fighting... When you turn on the news and you don't know who to vote for, a uh, Republican and Democrat, and they all seem to be a bunch of mess and all of them are wicked, and you think, man, this country's going to hell in a handbasket and you don't know what's going on and all of these kinds of things. Can you just take a deep breath and realize that you serve a risen Savior and that King Jesus is in control as He has always been of the worlds and of every nation and of every human heart. He is in control. So why don't you go live tomorrow like Jesus is in control? He's the King of the world. And you're on His side. And then lastly, maybe tonight, you might want to focus on Him as our loving, suffering friend. Look at what it says in verse number 3. For consider... The word there means to ponder, just as Mary pondered all of this in her heart. So Luke would say, for consider, reckon, meditate, Him who has endured such hostilities by sinners against Himself. Why? Why would you consider Him and His sufferings? 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know. Maybe some of you in here today, you're like that little toy plane that I have, uh, or James has, or your bags are all packed and you're buckled up and you're singing a song and you're ready for the journey of 2018. I want you to understand, listen, turn your eyes to Jesus Christ and you'll make it. For all of my other brothers and sisters in here that you've kind of staggered into today and you're ready to go home and rest a little bit tomorrow and it really doesn't even feel like a new year and you've got all kinds of pains and heartaches that are still carrying over. It's not just a fresh page. Not everything is made okay. It's not all working out like the Hallmark movies. Right? Yeah, got an amen somewhere. For all of you like that, right, that have spent 40 hours in an airport, turn your eyes to Jesus as well. Focus on Him. I know maybe you came here today thinking that I'd give you you know, six uh, resolutions for a new year. You make your own resolutions. You work through what God wants you to do this year. But the overall vision of all of this is no matter what you want to change and work on, Make Christ the center of your life in word, thought, and deed, body, soul, and spirit, and you'll be okay this next year. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.